Galatians chapter 4 and reading from verse 21. Tell me, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the, the church the, of the, or the churches in Galatia in writing this letter and he says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And just once again, we remind ourselves that the Apostle Paul is battling, he's contending against these Judaizers who are trying to foist a hybrid form of Christianity on the Galatian churches. Theirs was an attempt to merge the gospel of grace that Paul had taught to the Galatians with a form of works righteousness drawn from Jewish ritualism. They were combining the teachings of the Lord Jesus with a continuing obligation to the Jewish law as it was taught by the scribes and the Pharisees of Paul's day. And these, these men, these Judaizers, they wished, they were trying to blend law and grace, gospel and works which is simply an ever-evolving form of man-made religion. Now, we, we, call it, we call it, to use a, a, a theological word, we call it neonomianism. It's just a way of saying that there are things that God wants us to do, whether it's the Ten Commandments or something else, whether it's uh, uh, the way we dress, the way we speak, the things we eat, 
what we do, how we act, how our, our moral views and ethical views are in the world. People will get any number of laws and they will say that this is what God is looking for from us. And all this does is keeps its followers bound up in religious exercises and duties and subjects them to endless obligation. Now, that has a consequence for true believers. If true believers are in an environment where these neonomians or, or these legalists or these Judaizers, to use the, the phrase that we've been using in the context of Galatians, if true spiritual believers, such as the Galatians, are subjected to this legalism, what it results in is constant self-examination and self-recrimination because we gradually realise that we can't actually do what we're told we have to do or honestly do what we feel that we should do. And this brings us into this sense of bondage and judgment. And this is what the Apostle is talking about is going to happen with the Galatians if they tolerate these Judaizers. Or else, if the people that are under that teaching are not truly spiritual people, it will also have the effect of making them proud. It'll generate pride, it'll generate self-righteousness, and it will generate hypocrisy. So that they are happy to think that they are making the standard and they lay that standard on everyone else and they become proud in their own self-righteousness. So let us understand, when we take our eye off of the sufficiency of Christ's righteousness for our acceptance with God, and if we seek to introduce any form of God-pleasing works or God-pleasing righteousnesses of our own, we shall at once be subject to bondage and condemnation. And that is the nature of the law and works religion. And Paul was eager that these people didn't get snared in this deception. So he asks the Galatians, if the Galatians wish to weave a form of works and legal duty into their faith, Paul asks them, have you actually heard what the law says? Have you heard its condemning roar as Moses and the children of Israel heard it and trembled at Sinai when the law was first given? Have they considered what the scriptures actually say, what they actually teach about the law. And here the Apostle Paul, uh, very interestingly, because it's not a, a, a common uh, aspect of his, of his teaching, his letters, but here he employs what he calls an allegory. It is a picture 
with a spiritual interpretation. And he draws this allegory from the Old Testament history of Hagar and Sarah, um, as it is uh, reported in, in the book of Genesis. So here is, is the, he's used Abraham already in the previous chapter, and now he's going on to the wife of Abraham and this bondwoman Hagar. And uh, I think it's Genesis 16 that we read uh, about this history. So that having drawn upon Abraham's testimony in the previous chapter, he's now going to apply the experience of Sarah and Isaac to show how that the true people of God are people of promise, people of grace and truth, whose standing before God is based not on the things that they do, but on the promises made by the Father to the Son in the everlasting covenant of grace and peace. These promises, these covenant promises, are also made to the people of God in Christ. So that when God made these promises to Christ in the everlasting covenant, he was making them to the elect as well. Because in Christ, all of the promises of God are yea and amen. So here these promises are once again to the forefront of Paul's attention. Promises by which acceptance with God and holiness is attributed to and bestowed upon and created in God's elect apart from the works of the law. And this is the same everlasting covenant that we're speaking about here, uh, that we were thinking about um, on, uh, on last Lord's Day uh, from uh, Isaiah 55, the sure mercies of David, as, as uh, Isaiah called it there. And it shows, I think, the continuity of the gospel message in the two testaments, in, the, in each of the dispensations of, of the church. Isaiah and Paul had the same gospel, built on the same foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that Isaiah could tell the people of his age, he could, he could speak of Christ who says, My kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed. And Paul equally could tell the Galatians, man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, the promises of Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And this allegory that Paul employs here. It points to the different condition and position of two women who both carried a child fathered by Abraham. And yet how one son, Ishmael, could have no part in the inheritance of Abraham's blessing because 
as we read in Genesis 16, he had been conceived by natural means. It seemed a good idea. It seemed a good idea to Sarah because she was old, because she was barren, because she felt now in her body that she could no longer give a, a, a child, a son to Abraham. It seemed like a good idea to get Hagar involved, the, her, her bond servant, and allow Abraham to procreate a child with Hagar, which then Sarah would then adopt, as it were, uh, or at least uh, say that this was her giving this child to Abraham. So it was, it was a fleshly procreation. It was done by natural means, by people thinking, how are we going to sort this problem out that we've got? And what it showed was that Abraham had a lack of faith in God. The other child was Isaac, and Isaac was the child of promise, who, though born according to natural process, unlike the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who um, was, was born by the Holy Spirit, Isaac wasn't born like that. He was born by the natural process of a, a, a father in Abraham and a mother in um, Sarah. Nevertheless, it was by divine intervention, by promise, and the conception was by divine, by divine intervention because uh, they were so old. Both Abraham and Sarah were old and beyond the age of natural childbirth. So here was one child, Ishmael, born as a result of works, fleshy works, trying to fix what they perceived to be a problem, and the other child, Isaac, the child of promise according to God's will. And Paul speaks about these two uh, women as two covenants. This is the allegory. He speaks of the, the, the two covenants, not, I don't think that these are references to the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, but rather two dispensations or times, time periods during which the Lord dealt particularly with the Old Testament Jews and with the New Testament church. So that's the, that's the, the, the picture that the apostle is painting here for us. He's saying that there was the covenant or there was the the, the testimony, the testament of God's dealings with the Old Testament Jews and there's the, the dealings of the Lord with his church in the New Testament. And he speaks about Hagar, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth or brings to bondage. And this is the legal dispensation of the Ten Commandments and the sacrifices and the ceremonial law and the judicial law. And the Apostle Paul says, Now that answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, that is, the present Jewish religious order at the time of Paul, the very people who had put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. And he says that that covenant, that dispensation, is in bondage with her children. The other covenant or testament, which 
she speaks about here in verse 26, is Jerusalem which is above. That is the church of the New Testament, the spiritual people of God. Those who are converted under the preaching of Christ and under the preaching of the apostles. And that extends extends right up to the present time, our, our own day today. And that people are the people of promise. And it is free. It is free from the Old Testament trappings, free from their patterns, their shadows, their ceremonies and their types. And it's the heavenly Jerusalem in the sense of it's where the gospel first was preached. They began in Jerusalem, Judea, unto the ends of the earth. So in that sense, it's the mother church of us all. It's the source from which the spiritual peace was preached and where all believers find our rest and security as men and women of faith in Jesus Christ. So this is the allegory, this is the picture that the Apostle Paul paints for us here. And he summarises that, he brings it to a conclusion in verse 28 with with a very emphatic and, and powerful statement. He says, we then are of Sarah, we are of Isaac, we are, we who believe, we who have faith in the efficacy of Christ's blood and the sufficiency of his righteousness and to enjoy the liberty that his sacrifice brings, we are the children of promise and we are heirs of Abraham's blessings by faith and heirs with Jesus Christ. And then the apostle brings another aspect of this allegory to uh, bear as well. He applies it, the allegory of, of Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac, to the very pertinent way in which false religion continues to persecute the true faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, he's, he's referring to the, the, the way in which the Galatians were being uh, troubled by the Judaizers. And he compares that to the way in which Ishmael mocked Isaac. Now, when we read about Ishmael mocking Isaac, that might simply have been childish teasing. Although um, Ishmael was considerably older than Isaac, even when he was born. Um, But uh, it might just have been childish teasing. But the implication is that it was more serious than that. So here we're back to this allegory, thinking about the fact that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. And more serious to the extent that it's even threatening and even life-threatening. That in some way Ishmael tried to trouble and deny Isaac the blessings of inheritance 
that God had all along designed for the child of promise. That Ishmael realised that this child Isaac was a threat to him and he would try to be rid of Isaac so that he would be the one who would obtain the um, the, the blessings that, that uh, had been given by God to Abraham. So, says Paul, as then in Isaac's day, so now, so he's applying this to the day of the Galatians. He that was born after the flesh, that is the Judaizers, persecuted him that was born after the spirit, the Galatians. What Ishmael did to Isaac, the Judaizers are doing to you. Those who have no portion of inheritance or blessing by grace oppose those who understand their salvation to be all of grace. Now, let me just see if I can make a little bit of an application here because I think we are justified in taking Paul's approach to this matter and bringing it right up to date. Here's what I'm going to say. It's my belief that the true gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, is the gospel of free grace. It's the gospel of imputed righteousness and it's the gospel of Christian liberty. However, what we discover is that not merely do people of no faith and people of other faiths, you know, you talk about, I don't know, Islam or, or Hinduism or any of the, 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 the worldwide religions. It's not that simply they are opposed to Christianity, like Muslims attacking uh, Christians in, in uh, Pakistan or, or Hindus attacking Christians in India. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. But what we're saying is that not only is there opposition to the true gospel from the world religions, but even within the broad definition of Christianity, evangelicalism, fundamentalism, and even reformed confessionalism, that's right up close. There are plenty who deny God's sovereignty and salvation or insist on legal obedience to promote works righteousness or both. And these are true enemies of the gospel as well. They are Ishmael. Like these Judaizers in Asia Minor, amongst the churches of, of the Galatians, they claim the inheritance of faith. That's what the Judaizers did. But they deny the very gospel that they profess. They spread a mongrel gospel, a mixed up hodgepodge, of religious ideas and a jumble of do and don't practices that really is no gospel at all. And they do it because they have no real faith in the power of Christ's blood to cleanse us from all our sin, no trust in the sufficiency of Christ's righteousness to supply all our righteousness, and no confidence 
in the indwelling Holy Spirit power to save and to keep and to deliver Christ's bride safe to heaven in spotless holy garments fit for her wedding day. Their lack of faith forces them to introduce their own efforts and bring creature duty into the frame, into the mix where it has no place to be. Paul's remedy for this is to remind the Galatians what the scripture remedy was in Ishmael's day. When Ishmael persecuted Isaac, he says, verse 30, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not have heir with the son of the free woman. Shall not be heir, I'm sorry, with the son of the free woman. This is the instruction. Separate from this teaching. Distance yourself from any so-called gospel that isn't a gospel at all. And as we shall see next time, when we come back to the next, uh, the next verses, the next chapter, as we'll see next time, God willing, rather stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. May the Lord make us wise to learn these lessons. Amen.